Hello, I am Jen Wilson from IamJenWilson.com and here with your lunchtime chats. I am going to have Jennifer Pritchard on today, who is from the Bear Hub UK. And we're going to be talking about reflux in babies and possibly sleep routines for babies and new mums and um, oh, I can't remember. My brain has gone to mush. My brain has gone to mush. Go live. So I am Jen Wilson, as I said, author of Nine Rules to Sort Your Shit, Yoga, Pilates, Meditation and Teacher. And Jennifer is here. Hi, how are you? Nice to chat to you again this week. I know, it's been so long. Twice in one week is like... Amazing. I feel blessed. Yeah, me too. I feel honored. <laughs> I feel like I feel like saying hashtag blessed. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So I'm just changing the plug so that the charger is in on the correct device. I just say I'm absolutely melting. I put a jumper on this morning to go out with the wee one. She's away at football academy and it was so cold and now I'm like oh, I'm melting. So the sun is now blazing. No, it's beautiful outside now. Good. I think I put my tea inside and get my water instead. <laughs> cool you down from the inside. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on today's show, I will call it. Yes. Yeah. So if, um, I'm going to post this once we've done the live I'll post it onto my IGTV and also I'll download it to put it onto my YouTube channel and pull the audio from it to put it onto the podcast so that there's a selection of ways that people can hear um all the links to them are in my bio and IGTV obviously just from the the profile bit <clears throat> how do you introduce yourself tell us all who you are what you do so my name is also Jen. I am, my name is Jen Pritchard, such an awesome name. And um, I am the founder of The Bear Hub. I'm a sleep coach and a reflux practitioner for babies and toddlers. So working with like newborns up to sort of preschool, um, kind of, sort of specialising in up to 12 months old, but sort of um, newborns to preschool. And I basically help families when their little ones are having struggles with either not sleeping and finding out why they're not sleeping, what's going on with them, looking at the deep, as my mentor says, it's looking below the iceberg, not just the tip of the iceberg, because there's always something going on. And just giving them that support, and, and when it comes to reflux, pinpointing what is the cause of the little one's reflux, it's not just a simple, yeah, it's a phasal grow of it, it's actually looking at we've had this like chat before that re reflux is a symptom of something else it's not a disease there is no like they can't do a test for it they can't do a blood test for it the same as they would for cancer or skin disorder like blood disorders or anything like that there's no test yeah. it's a symptom so it's looking at that bigger picture as to what is causing these symptoms what is upsetting baby or giving them that pain or discomfort or whatever so it's looking at all of that and another um sort of thing that I'm, I'm moving into and helping families and supporting families and again it's something we've kind of spoke about briefly before is the energetics of birth trauma mm. that when baby is in utero or birth um or even like 
mum's own pregnancy and birth can have an impact on baby as well, which can be affecting their like separation anxiety. It can have an impact on their sleep. And again, when you look at the deeper picture of reflux, there might be some kind of connect. Well, there is a connection there as well as to like mum's gut microbiome and babies like in utero or sort of pre um, breastfeeding and all this kind of thing. So it's looking at the big picture of what's going on and giving families that support and not just saying, yeah, it's a phase, you know what, you just need to suck it, I'm going with yeah. it. Because it's not, it's just not. And I was actually, I was having a conversation this morning with a mum at the, foot, um, the football academy and she was saying the same thing that whether or not you're a first time, or I was saying to whether you're a first time mum of one or three kids or whatever, everybody says to you it's normal. You, you know, baby will sleep when they're going to sleep. It's normal. You just need to go on with it. But then I, in itself, I feel can add that added pressure to mum that, well, if everybody's saying it's normal, why am I struggling? Why can I not go with it? Why can I not do this right? Why am I not getting this help? So it's like saying to mums, yeah, there might be an issue with it or explaining this of the normality of a newborn baby and their sleep routines and what happens. But that's still, you need to give them that support. You need to give them that encouragement. You need to say, yeah, okay, so let's look at things and, Everybody has different levels of what they can cope with. Yeah. So looking at that as well, and just being supportive of the mums and families in general, and not just shutting them down. So, and then there's a, a difference between them. something being normal and something being common. And I think we spoke about this before. Like for women, we get told all the time what's well, normal to have cramp, really bad cramps during your period or whatever. But these aren't like they might be really common, but mm -hmm. they're not normal. They're symptoms of something. Mm -hmm. That's being healthy exactly. and vital and getting a really good night's sleep and being energetic mm -hmm. is what should be normal, but it's really uncommon, so therefore it doesn't get classed as normal. If you're yeah. if you're that person that is nailing it mm -hmm. and on point and you're thinking clearly, you're the weird one because everybody else is burnt out and exhausted. Yeah. Ah, it's that's like... what's normal, but actually it's not. It's just something that's common. There's so, yeah, there's you know, there's all and again I, I'm very much of a thing as well as to what's normal for a mum and her cycles and the way she is, or what's normal for a baby, could be completely different for another baby because again our our, our bodies all function differently. We all have our own kind of set of, set of things and stuff like that. So like I remember totally off topic of babies and reflux, but like with and again I think it's something we were talking about before as well. Like in the last year women are having so many ups and downs with their periods, their cycles, everything like that, because of the stress, because of the unknown, because of the worry, because of the, just their whole body being out of sorts because the routine's out of sorts. Yeah. And I was having issues with um, with mine and I spoke to the doctor about it. She's like, actually, do you know what? You were, you were one of the lucky ones, you know, you're now back to being normal. I'm like, but that's not normal for me. That's not what I have always had and always done. But they just shut, GPs and health officers just shut mums down. They shut families down. And that's what really irritates the life out of me that, why are you shutting them down? Why are you dismissing what they're saying to you? They know their body better than anyone else. They know their baby better than anyone else. So why are you not, why are you not listening? Mm. Why are you not saying, right, okay, tell me about it. Let's sit down and have a chat. Yeah. Instead of just shooting them out the, the surgery or whatever it is. It riles me up. Yeah. I'm going to go on my soapbox. You can just tell already. In like a GP's defence, they've, they've been told they've got seven minutes to see you. And I know that's it. In and out, and they've got a waiting room full of people that they're they're meant to get through, and they've just not got the time to sit and get to know each no. of the patients. I remember when I was young, when I, we used to go to the doctor, we saw the same doctor every single time we went. He was our family doctor. 
he knew us from he knew my mum during her pregnancy he knew us from yeah. birth and up until he retired and then after that it was just pot luck by that time the system had all changed and it pot luck that's it i know because like at, whenever i talk to like my families about um the reflux and stuff and and that kind of th the medical side i always say to them i'm not medically trained you know mm -hmm. i'm looking at everything from a holistic point of view and i've got completely different training than what they've got and i'm looking at everything together and not just one or two little points and taking it there but you know with gps and health visitors they're there for a reason they're there for a purpose and there's ones you can get that absolutely amazing they will like bend over backwards to support you to give you the help to give refer you to whatever they think they need to do and all the rest of it but then you do get the ones that are just like oh yeah thanks very much they just want you out the door as quickly as possible and they don't care and they're not interested in it so yeah that you know in defense to them there is ones out there that are great and then again when it comes to like the reflux side of it they're not trained to look at reflux the way i am yeah they're not trained to look at the bigger picture. They're not trained to look at everything else. And again, the guidelines that they have mm. won't allow them to do that. Yeah. You know, like they've, I think it's a, it's a seven, seven step, five step that they've got for the who, the, oh, what's it called? I've got it written down somewhere. I'll double check. Um, in fact, where's my folder? They've got it. The, the first step that basically, um, I'm just going to double check. I can't remember who, what the name of people is that have done it. Um, when mum goes to the doctor, it's like, yeah, it's normal, it's fine, just um, see how they go. There we go, that's it there. Um, who is it? National Institute of Clinical Health and Excellence, NICE, UK NICE, that's who give them their guidelines as to how they treat mums that come in with a lot of reflux. So it's what, a seven-step approach, isn't it? Six-step approach. And it basically starts off with, yeah, it's normal, see how they go. And they send them off. And then they'll go back, like mum will go back a couple of weeks later, Okay, maybe try and feed little and often. Mm -hmm. And then mum goes and does that. And you know, so it's a whole step stone until eventually they might refer them to paediatrics and then they just give them medication. Yeah. But they're still not looking at what is causing that symptom. They're still not looking, is it air that's going into their tummy? And again, one of the things that can be quite common with it, and, and this is where I get annoyed with the GPs, is absolutely what you're seeing is right in terms of they do have that short space of time and it's, and it's still not their fault because they're not trained in it. And there is some of them that are trying to look sort of more deeper. I think there's um, is it a paediatrician up in Aberdeen that's actually started to do more work and, and, and find out more about tongue ties and stuff. But basically one of the things that can cause reflux is a tongue tie, which is baby then can't get their tongue moving around their mouth properly. It doesn't sit rest properly at the top of the palate. Um, and even although they might not necessarily have issues with feeding and reflux, it can have a, an impact further down the line. Like I've got a tongue tie. And I find it difficult to say certain words. Yeah. Or when I'm talking, all of a sudden my tongue just can't get it in my mouth. And I'm like, what on earth? <laughs> I'm like, coming out. But tongue tie is a big thing that if the child might say, baby's putting on weight, they're feeding, oh, it's fine. Tongue tie doesn't bother them. We're not doing anything about it. Mm. And it often gets dismissed or it's completely missed and it's not seen because it's posterior. It's right at the back of the tongue. Yeah. But that can have such an impact on baby feeding and their reflux. Yeah. They don't do anything about it. They don't help mums or they don't support mums or they like, again, they just, or I've had clients in the past where I'm like, yeah, this, this is just what is going on. This is where you need to go to get it divided and get it looked at and all the rest of it. You speak to somebody else and they get talked out of it. Which again, you know, I always say it's mum's, mum's decision at the end of the day. Mum is the one, you're the advocate for baby. They do what they feel is right. 
you know, they can, people can give them advice and support, but it's their decision at the end of the day. And even with GPs, they don't have to follow that road of a GP. If they don't agree with what a GP is saying or they want another opinion, they are quite entitled to do that. One of the things as well that I'd found out about, um, I meant to post about it the other day there, and I never, <clears throat> there's a thing, I don't know if you've ever heard of it actually, the yellow card system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of people don't know about it and therefore they don't do it. So like all these big companies like Gaviscon, a lot of um a lot of GPs will put is a Gaviscon's the first protocol that put them on to try and help reflux. And the purpose of Gaviscon, it puts like a layer on top of the stomach so it stops the stomach contents coming up. And like with like Gaviscon and like Ameprazone, all these other medications, they're there. If baby has got regurgitation. They're absolutely brilliant because it helps to soothe that esophagus. It stops any damage. It stops anything while you're trying to work out what that 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 root cause is. But the thing with Gaviscon is how it works in the body is it draws out all the liquid, therefore it makes them constipated. Mm -hmm. But because people won't necessarily use the red card system, so the the, red, the yellow card system is basically you can speak to your pharmacy or GP about it. So if you're given a medication and you have symptoms or you have a reaction, whether it's like constipation, sickness, whatever, you can report it through this red car system, through the the, um, the pharmacy or your GP, and then that, that has to go back to the manufacturers. Yeah. But because nobody knows about it and nobody uses it, you end up then getting the, the we've done our research, I think what it was my, my mentor, my reflux mentor, who was talking about it the other day then, and she was saying, she did a poll, I can't remember what the numbers were in it, but something like, say it was something like 500 people she asked, or 300 people, I can't remember, like 70%, however, one that she asked, were having all these uh, symptoms with reflux, were having constipation, like sore stomachs, um, I can't remember all the other ones she was rhyming off. Yet when you look at the, the Gaviscon leaflet, it's something like 0.1% of thousands that have these symptoms, because nobody's letting them know about it. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's, Again, it's given the mums the support that these things are out here that they can go a completely lost track of where I started talking about that. But. <laughs> the yellow card, the yellow card system is um, it says it on every single medication in the small print at the very, very bottom because it's to support their ongoing research. But like you say, most right. people don't know about it because most people don't read their leaflet. Um, no. I got obsessed about reading the leaflets of the medication that I, that I get put on because the medication is quite aggressive and I kept getting side effects and I'd go away and I'd look it up on the, the leaflet and I'm like, this side effect isn't there. But if nobody reports it to the company, they're never that. going to be able to gather mm -hmm. that information. And part of it is it's like ongoing research because when they do their phase one, phase two, phase three trials, they'll maybe go up to a few thousands or maybe a few tens of thousands of people that will get medication, yeah. but that's only that's a tiny, tiny amount of people when you've got 65 million in the UK that's and that. how many billion <clears throat> around the world that are potentially going to be taking this medication. It has become mm -hmm. more talked about, certainly by the people that I follow because of the, the current vaccine thing. People mm -hmm. are really pushing, saying if you have a reaction to the medication, please contact the yellow card system because they haven't they haven't done the studies for long enough and there hasn't been yeah. enough people within the studies really for it to be yeah. rolled out to know what is safe and effective. And if people are just experiencing these head flus and cold flus and shivers and chills or whatever they're experiencing but not reporting it, those figures are never going to be right on, on right. those yeah. application forms. And it doesn't matter whether it's mm -hmm. a medication, if it's paracetamol, that's been out forever. 
or if it's one of these new vaccines that are being rolled out, we should be reporting every single time you get a side effect so that that data is up to date. That's it. I know because even like I was, I didn't know about it until recently and I'm like, how have I not known about this? With everything, all this training, the people I've been working with and doing it, how, and you know, I've worked with families now for a couple of years and I didn't know anything about it and it's so important that people know that this is out here, that they can go and do this and that they should do it. Because again, like, Omeprazole, everything I, is there for a purpose, but there's so many side effects with it that mums don't know about or mums don't realise about. Like, it, it stops... It can stop the baby absorbing vitamins like magnesium and stuff like that, which then long term can end up causing problems, calcium and everything, causing problems with like breaking bones and stuff because the bones are weaker. And again, it's in the guide, it's, I'm, I'm pretty certain it's written in that leaflet that the manufacturers themselves, they've done tests of like babies of certain ages only up to eight weeks, as in to be on the medication for up to eight weeks. Yeah. But yet, the babies that are getting put on this medication for like four, five, six months a year. Yeah. But on the guidelines, it states only advisable up to yeah, up to two months. Um, use, but it gets oh, it's fine. Because that I mean, as recall, I know so many people that have been prescribed that as adults for mm -hmm. a whole different range. <laughs> like one person had kidney issues, one person had stomach pains. I had I kind of something to do with. I was having side effects to the steroids that I was put on, so I was given that, and I was just like. This doesn't make sense. Like no. it's that it suppresses mm -hmm. your stomach from creating stomach acids, but most people don't create enough stomach acids and reflux can be a symptom of too much or not enough, but they don't taste to see which one you are. No. Just, your body can never overproduce stomach acid. Really? You cannot no. Didn't your body and again this is one of the things. So mm. quite often some of the things I get I find out about and hear when it comes to reflux of babies is the most common one people tell you is the sphincter muscle is too weak. Mm. So the sphincter muscle is the muscle at the top of your stomach. And if that's weakened, the people tell you that you can't close that doesn't close over. Therefore when baby has a feed, they're moving about it contents come up because that can't close. Absolute rubbish. Okay. Nothing to do with that. Every single baby is naturally born without weakened muscle. So if that was the case, every single baby would have reflux. And nothing to do with that. If it comes to the stomach and reflux, it's more to do with the elasticity of the stomach. So again, some of the things that people say is feed little and often. Feeding little and often is an idea, is an option for a coping strategy, dependent on what is right for your baby. But it's not, it's got nothing to do again with feeding little and often. So you're not overfilling the stomach for the contents to come up because of that muscle. It's more the elasticity. That if baby's stomach can't take larger volumes of, of um, fluid, like their, their feeds their milk, when they get that big contractions in the stomach, when it starts to look, um, peristalsis, it's called, when it like pushes down the throat, and then when it's 30 minutes or 90 minutes after a feed, it's when your stomach has that massive big contraction, which is pushing things down. So if their stomach hasn't got the elasticity, hasn't got the movement to then do it, when it has that big contraction, that's what brings food back up. Mm. Again, that is not the, oh, that's what's the cause of reflux. There's so many different things that can be the cause of reflux. Yeah. So if your little one is struggling with that, that's where feeding little one often might help. But you're, you're, you can never, ever overproduce stomach acid. And that's the other one, big one. People say, your baby's over, overproducing it, so let's give you um, a meprazole because then that, because it attaches on the way it works in their body, it's, um, it's, it's a PPI, so it attaches on the, the proton pump inhibitor, which is in the stomach, which produces it. 
it puts a block on them so it stops producing but your stomach you can never ever overproduce stomach acid body's clever so yeah aye it's absolutely body's amazing smarter than us 100 but it's just amazing because like one of the other big things that people talk about as well is again quite often when people go to the gps with reflux after a period of time they'll be like right do you know what that's it i think it's cow's milk protein allergy and it might be 100 that might be the cause of it but they don't test for it they don't look at things it might be nothing to do with having an allergy it might just be the fact that because of the side and this is like a course i'm studying more so i don't know the full internet so it's like the next level um but milk on a molecular level when you look at the chemistry of it it's a massive big change yeah. And if baby doesn't have the right amount of like enzymes and the right amount of um, sort of, I mean, like it's an amino acid chain, if I remember, but if they don't have the right amount of enzymes to break that down into individual chains, then they can't break it, they can't break it down, obviously. So it starts to ferment. And then the f- fermentation in the stomach is what can then cause mm. some of the symptoms. So it's not an automatic that this is what they've got. It's looking at that bigger picture. Is it air that's going into their tummy? Is it something like that that's causing it? Is it um, an allergy or intolerance? Is it something to do with position in utero? Is it, some, is it one of the other things that is um, physical? There might be something physical inside, which generally is diagnosed within a couple of weeks. But, excuse me, you know, there's so many different things that can cause it. It's not just a... And again, like I, I have mums that come to me and say, I think my little one's got reflux. I'm not too sure how can you tell. It's, there's no set symptoms either. Mm-hmm. And there's no set symptoms either of... If your baby's got five out of ten, and it's on a scale of five to ten in terms of upset and discomfort, it's reflux. Anything else, it's not. Yeah. There's nothing like that that you can. There's no guidelines. Again, it comes down to that individual baby. It comes down to what is right for them and what's not right for them, and what mum knows something's going on here. So are you something? Are you di- helping diagnose what's going on, or are you teaching mum to know what, mm. or dads to know what to look out for? So when, when families come to me for reflux, I get them to fill out a questionnaire and it's asking about over 80 symptoms and behaviours. Okay. That's what I'm asking about, yeah. over 80 of them. And from looking at all of those symptoms and behaviours, what's going on, what's happening, I can then look at that and say, right, because X, Y, and Z is happening, therefore it, I think it's air, and I think this is how the air is getting into the tummy. So then we look at this to eliminate it. I always look at air first. Yeah. Always look at air first to see what's going on, because air can get in through having a bad latch, from laughing and giggling, from crying, from not necessarily a bad latch because there's a tongue tie or like lip ties or anything like that. It could be because they're tense and head shoulders and neck from the pregnancy or birth. So therefore you have to then relax their muscles and things like that to then be able to latch on. So it's looking at everything that could potentially be causing air. Once you eliminate that, then you move on to look at any allergies and tolerances if you've still got symptoms ongoing because it can be more than one thing as well. Yeah. It's not just one another other angle, it can be so many. So looking at all those symptoms and behaviours, I can then work out what is causing that reflux. And then I give parents a plan of action of, okay, it's a tongue tie, go to so-and-so to get it divided, or if they're down south, go to whatever particular... There's only two people that can assess for tongue tie and do the divide. So the it's looking country, at... In the whole of the UK, there's two people. Well, there's, there's, two, there's two people in Scotland that I know of they can do it but the two there's two types of people that can assess and look for tongue tie a tongue tie practitioner or an international board certified lactation consultant that has done the training for tongue tie because you get lactation consultants that are absolutely amazing and they're brilliant but they've not taken that next level and and doing tongue ties but that is the only two people that are qualified to look quite often 
with a tongue tie, if it's a posterior tie, you might not see it, or it might get missed because it's at the very back of the, the tongue. And again, sometimes if it gets divided, because it's at the back of the tongue, as baby starts to grow and get bigger and develop, their jaw pushes out, their tongue pushes forward because of the growth, and then the frenulum can then appear. So it might even be you get checked when they're younger and say, no, no, it's fine. But then when they get older, you can then see it because everything pushes forward with growth. Yeah. Or sometimes what happens is when the person goes to divide it, because it's erring inside a caution, they don't want to go too far in case they snip something they can't see. So they'll do what they can, but they might not record all of it because they can't see some of it because they need to wait for the joint to move forward. Yeah. And how common so is something? Um, quite common. Yeah, quite common, but again, it's dismissed. It's more common than what people think. Mm. Tongue ties to do with a gene mutation. Okay, okay. It's to do, I always get the letters mixed up when I talk about it, it's the MHT, MHTFR gene, MTHFR. It's to do with that, and it's all, it's part of it is um, your body not being able to break up certain, like, like folic acid, for example. Yeah. If you take, if you were parents are always told, mums are always told to take folic acid. If you have the MT, MTHFR, I always get them mixed up. If you have that gene, it looks like you find mother, it but without any of the vowels. That gene. MTHFR is it? I always get them mixed up. But yeah, so if you and I think I've got that gene. Right. So if you have that gene, you find it difficult. Your body finds it difficult to work folic acid to like store it, break it down and do what it has to do. So you're better to then take full eight, which is already kind of broken down. So that's what's kind of part of it is, is linked with, with that. It's not to say that 100% that is a cause of tongue tie. It's not, but that's it's kind of, it's like a gene mutation that can come from it. But it is very, um, it's quite common. Yeah. But it is missed. Mm, interesting. It's all, all missed. Um, and it's, it's not just about feeding. And a lot of people think as well, babies gaining weight or they're on a steady path of weight, they don't have reflux, it's not going to affect them and bother them. And it's like, well, no, just because there's, when it comes to like the, I'll go back on the tongue tie, when it comes to the tongue tie, if they're feeding and everything's fine and they're gaining weight, when they get older, it stops their jaw developing properly. Mm. So they end up instead of having a nice round jaw, they have an oval shape. Yeah. I, get, I had eight teeth taken out when I was a kid because my jaw didn't grow properly because of my tongue tie. And it's only since doing my training that I now know I've got a tongue tie. Mm. I know what's caused it, and, and that's why I've got cause problems later on in life with breathing and make you a mouth breather over a nose breather, which then there's loads of books coming out just now about the issues that people have in their health purely through mouth breathing. Yep, <clears throat> that's right, because when, cause a lot of the time as well, when you get kids that get tonsillitis, quite often you might find their mouth breathing because when they're getting in, all the, 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 the bacteria, everything that you're yeah. breathing in is going on in the tonsils, which causes infection. Yeah. yeah, it can affect your adenoids, it affects, and then you've got the other onset of that is when your mouth breathing, it completely again changes the shape of your mouth. Yeah. Changes the shape of your face. You end up having like and again part of this, when you've got a tongue tie, your chin ends up sitting like back, sitting behind, and your instead of your face being like in line, it ends up like that's your forehead and it comes yeah. back along. Yeah. It ends up reclining in. And some of that as well is linked um, or is potentially linked to like ADHD stuff mm. as you get older. And again, I'm not like frightening or panicking at everyone that if your child has got that, it's not. But it's all to do with the breathing and the way the head and everything like that goes. There's a, a video on YouTube. Oh, what's his name? Connor. Oh, my days, what's the name? 
I can't remember, I'll try and get it to you, but there's a video about a mum who'd put on her wee boy was absolutely amazing, the best boy ever, great, started going to school, started having problems, started having issues, and it was through ADHD. Mm -hmm. And you can see a photograph of his how, how his head was changing shape. And and I this I did this, watched this video years ago, and it's now known about the tongue tie that I, you can see all the link and it's a thing along with yeah. it and stuff like that. So tongue tie, it's not, and this is again what, what gets dismissed so often is that babies feeding their gain and weight is okay, don't worry about it. But it can also cause problems with speech mm. as well as everything you're saying with like mouth breathing, adenoids, everything like that, because the tongue does not sit at the right the right place in the mouth. And it doesn't the tongue's not sitting in the right place in the mouth. Vagus nerve doesn't work properly. If vagus nerve's not working properly, it's going to cause inflammation in the body, anxiety, stress, it's going to be yep. through the roof. Those that, that inflammation yep. can then cause autoimmune disease. Cancer, yep. asthma, mm -hmm. allergies, yep. you name it. Like, it's just, yep. there's so many. So much linked to it. Yep. So much linked to it. And from what I know, there is nobody. So you get a tongue tie. You get a lip tie, which is, like, tied under here. But you also get a thing, and this is very rare. I don't think this happens very often. But you get a buckle tie, which is your cheeks. Right. can tie at the gums as well. And as far as I know, there's nobody in the UK that can divide them. Wow. But I might be wrong in that, yeah. but from what I've been looking in here and there's no one in the UK, or if there is, there's like one or two in the UK, but from what I know, there's nobody in the UK that can actually do a lip tie. Wow. But a lip tie, they don't divide a lip tie. But if you have a lip tie, you can guarantee you'll end up having a tongue tie. Yeah. It's all like, but like one of the big things when it comes to like ties and, and everything with babies, that if babies gaining weight, or if, if, baby, if baby's gaining weight or they're gaining weight at the right level for them, or it's not affecting them, it's fine. They only look at it as if baby's losing weight or they're not thriving, then they look at, okay, what's going on, what's happening? A baby can lose weight if with reflux because they're constantly being sick. They're not feeding because of pain and discomfort. Yeah. They can have a steady weight gain because they've got reflux, but they're not being sick. Mm. They still like reflux. So they're still, and they're eating normally because the milk is giving them like a, a soothing comfort down their throat or like that kind of thing. Yeah. Or you can have a baby that's gaining weight with reflux because, yeah, they might be being sick constantly, but they're eating lots because they're wanting that milk yeah, to line their throat. So weight, weight's got absolutely nothing to do with reflux whatsoever. Mm. doesn't matter whether your baby's gaining weight or not, they can still be really suffering badly with reflux. Yeah. So you... I need a new tongue. <laughs> <laughs> so does it depend, or obviously it'll depend on what you work out is going on. There's different types of remedies to help soothe this. Or is there like a common, common work that you do with people that can help a few different things? Um, it's... Yes and no. There's coping strategies, but so there's coping strategies that that are like um, one of the big ones that I always see. If mums go little one on formula, or even if it's express like express milk, stir it, don't shake it, because then you're reducing the amount of air that's going into the tummy. Um, doing things like when they're if they're feeding with a bottle, make sure there's milk at the end of the bottle at the teat before you put it into baby's mouth. And again, when they're finished, make sure there's milk, because again, they're not having that last suction away from the bottle. Little things like that are coping strategies, but realistically, you need to find that root cause. Yeah, and then once you, go if you to don't cause, think that's that how you work out. <clears throat> fix, yeah, 
yeah, once you know what that root cause is, and again, every single baby is different. So you could have 10 babies that have got reflux and 10 babies that have got reflux due to a tongue tie, but there might be other things that are going on along with it. There might be other issues going on with it. It's not just that there, there is no set, let's do the next, if you do A, B and C, we'll solve all your issues. Let's do that. You just can't. There's no way you can do that. It's, you need to find that root cause for your little one. Is, you know, and, and finding out is it air, is it an allergy intolerance, is it whatever, and work through that. That is the only way to resolve it. And if babies are on, like we were talking about the medication and stuff like that, with like a Meprazole, say baby is on a Meprazole for six weeks. If then mum decides to start taking them off a Meprazole and they start, and again, I always say you need to speak to your GP about it. I'm not medically trained, that's not something I can advise on. And the mums end up having either going to the GP and speaking to them about a plan to start taking baby off it, or they decide themselves we're going to start doing it. It's always best when it comes to that of weaning them off slowly. And I had a mum before who the doctor said to, to give give it to the little one like every second day, and she said the day she wasn't having it, she was having a flare up. I said that that's too much for me to do because if if a little one is on medication for six weeks, it takes six weeks to come out of the system. Yeah. So over those sitting, that's why it's better to like reduce it slowly and take that time. Because again, like you hear adults of taking a meprazole because of whatever reason, they start coming off and they think, oh, I'm going to sore stomach again, not feeling well. That's that medication. I better take it back on yeah. again. The body's adjusting to not doing it. Yeah. The body's adjusting to not having that in their system. So you've got to give that time to do it. So that's why again, you need to do it really small, small doses and, and wean off lightly. So there's no. It's looking at the whole thing and figuring out everything. And for mums to be comfortable of, right, okay, let's take this next step. Because they know their baby better than anyone else and they need to feel what's right for them and what to do for them. And I, like, I will give them my recommendations. I will say, this is what's happening. This is what's doing, like, what, what I suggest your plan is. Mm -hmm. But it's up to them whether they implement that. It's up to them whether they do it. If they want to do it, I'm there for them to support them in every way I can. But it's their choice at the end of the day. It's about it's like that it's informed consent. It's the same if you're going to go on to medication with the doctor. They're meant to sit and go through all the pluses, all the negatives. They're not they're not legally allowed to give their personal opinion. They have to ask you if this is okay, and you have to happily agree before the yeah. procedure, before any kind of procedure in, in medicine. Yeah. It's informed consent is essential, and you should know all the ins and outs of everything and anything before you put anything into your body or somebody stick a knife into you or whatever it is that the procedure is going to be. <laughs> um, when you're saying there about looking at it all holistically, I think that's, and I've had this conversation with one of my GPs about Western medicine and uh, mm -hmm. one of their failings is they're taking the body apart and giving you a specialist that specialises in the gastrointestinal and somebody who specialises in heart and somebody who specialises in that yeah. there's nobody who can take all those little bits of information and piece it together mm -hmm. to create a, a holistic mm -hmm. bigger picture. And I, I, mm -hmm. I feel, and my, my GP had agreed with me, that you really need to have, yes, specialists in each individual section, but then also somebody specialises in being able to be more holistic with that information yeah. and say, mm -hmm. right, so you've worked out this, you've worked out that, you've worked out that. What does that look like in a big picture? How do we personalise this treatment plan for this patient? Because like you're, you're experiencing with the babies, there's a book that says if a, client, if a patient comes in with this symptom, this is X, Y, Z, this is how you deal with it. This is the ABC structure of it. 
and you're back and forth, back and forth, wasted time, wasted money, wasted appointments, wasted tests. Yeah. It's they, yeah. they need it's time or people like yourself and myself need to be given more credibility for what we do because very often it's like, well, I'm not medically trained, so there's certain things I can't diagnose you, I can't prescribe things to you, I can give you advice. But someone who is medically trained might completely dismiss what one of us has said because we're not medically trained. And it's like medically yeah. trained isn't the hierarchy of anything. It's not one one methodology, one system. Absolutely. They're we're all trained and everybody's a human being mm-hmm. trying to do their best. Exactly. We're, like you and I, we're trained in our fields. We specialise in our fields, and we do sometimes we get kind of like dismissed of the because it's not medicine, because it's not whatever it is. It's like airy fairy or assistant. That well, no, it's not because we're looking at the bigger picture. We're looking at the individual of what they need, what is happening, and listening to them because when we, when we spend that time listening. We figure things out, you know, the amount of times that I've worked with clients and it's like, right, okay, something's not quite right, what's going on? And and you're struggling to try and piece something together. And then all of a sudden they'll say something in a general conversation and I'll be like, that's it. I'll be like, what do you mean? And all, something, that that one missing bit, all of a sudden comes out in a conversation and you know straight away that, okay, that's the issue. Yeah. But we do the privilege of being able to work with a client for a whole hour and maybe that's speak it. to them. Like, I, I'm fortunate as speak to some of my clients two three times a week because they come to classes plus do one-to-one sessions over and above that so I may be over a period of time been able to watch them move been able to hear what they tell me and snip bits of information yeah. about what they've been up to how they're feeling how their sleep was all of these three things that I can then put a really detailed picture of what's going on in their their world and it's still only two or three hours out of their whole entire week of a hundred and however hours that is Yes, I know, but you know, having that, having that luxury of being able to do that and being able to give them that support, that that couple of hours, that that one conversation, complete, it's life changing mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, it completely changes their life. It makes things easier for them, and you know, it could be one simple thing that you're changing. Like when you're doing, like I know what I was saying it the other day that I did your class, and it was the only class I've ever done to be been able to finish, and not be in pain or upset because of my knee or anything like that. Or not feel, oh no, I can't do that. You know, I was so comfortable doing it that 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 changed my work. That, that completely changed everything for me that day doing that class because I felt good about myself because I was able to do something, I was able to complete it. And it might not seem an awful lot to someone else, but just having that focus and having that time and having that awareness of everything, that one conversation, that one little bit, it can just mean the world. And even again, because we do have the time to do it, even just having somebody feeling they're being listened to, yeah. whether or not you're actually changing something that they're doing or making a tweak to something, just feeling that they're being listened to, feeling that they're being heard, that they're being seen, can make a massive, massive difference. You know, like I've had mums on the phone to me, like, for calls and stuff, like, I end up almost coming off the phone in tears because they're so upset because I'm, I'm listening to them. I'm hearing what they're saying. I'm like, right, okay, Let's figure things out. What's what? I'm here if you need me. Just doesn't matter what. Even if it's got nothing to do with sleep or reflux, I'm here. And they're like, honestly, the, the conversations I've had with mums and they're so, it's like, wow, you're actually listening. You're actually there for me and not just telling me that I'm 
it's all in my head. You're not just telling me to like suck it up or whatever. You're, and it's that little bit is a big thing as well. I take some of the weight off the shoulders and allows them to relax. And then when mum's more relaxed, baby can be more relaxed because while baby cannot verbally communicate with you at the moment, Mm -hmm. they are constantly picking up on energy the way animals do they pick up they they feel everything yeah even if you think you're putting a, a brave smile on your face if your heart rate's going to do do the baby senses that yeah. because yeah. you're holding baby right at your heart so it can feel the pulse mm-hmm. more than you can when you put your hand on your body like there's the sensory mm-hmm. nerves on babies is insane because that's their whole learning experience for those first years yeah yeah absolutely like even when when you're hugging baby even if you're not feeling stressed yourself if you're in your mind your mind's wandering off of i need to go and do the washing or really want you to go to sleep because i need to do this even if you're just having those thoughts in your head or creating a to-do list in your head without you realizing it you're you're tensing up or you're doing something and baby's feeling that off you and they're they're having that that moment of all right a minute what's going on what's happening because they're so sensitive, they don't know what's going on and they don't have any concept of time either. So even if you're hugging baby for five minutes with these simple thoughts going off in your head, for them that could be you're hugging over an hour, yeah. two hours, and they're like, oh, right, okay. And the stress hormones are like going absolutely crazy, therefore they won't have a good sleep. They wake up tired and groggy and grumpy and everything because they've not had that good sleep because they've been stressed out. So again, like when it comes to like, for me talking to mums, if all I'm doing is reassuring them that absolutely what you're doing, don't change it. If you're happy with it and it's working for you, do not change a single thing. Them hearing that can all of a sudden be like, yeah, do you know what, actually? Ah, I'm quite happy with that, so I'm not changing anything, which can, again, change everything. You know, they then have that confidence in themselves to tell the mother-in-law or the neighbour down the road, do you know what, actually, it's not your business. I'm happy to do this with my baby. It works for me, my baby, therefore I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. You know, they have that thing of, yeah, so I can do that now. And that simple thing can change everything for them. Yeah, it's funny that we need permission from somebody else to do something mm-hmm. all the time. So I have that the same thing. When I teach yoga and pilates, I'm always saying to my class, I'm here to guide you, have permission to be a rebel and do what feels right in your body. So if we're doing mm-hmm. cat and cow on our hands and knees and it's hurting your knees or it's hurting your wrists, stand up and do it or hold on to mm-hmm. a work surface and do it or come down onto your forearms or just think what is it that we're doing here right we're moving the spine or we're coming into rotation but it doesn't feel quite right what if I completely do this in another shape and it feels like when you were at at yoga class I I was given different options of try different positions maybe don't put your full weight on it but it's this constant we constantly are given permission for people to break the rules because we get brought up to do what the teacher tells you listen to the teacher listen Mm. to the person who's older because they've got experience they've been through this before listen Mm. to the doctor listen to whoever Mm. even though your whole body your gut is going this isn't right for me Mm. but i've got to do it because Mm. i've been told to do it be a rebel it's so bad like even like my mum still i'm 40 my mum still jokes with me when i'm on the phone to her she's like do you know what pet your mum's giving you permission, it's all right to go and do that. And it's like, right, okay, you know, it's like you still, it's, why are we like this in society where we think we need to have permission to like do it, but we do it because that, as you say, that's how you brought up. It's like drained into it, like drummed into you. Respect your elders, you know, always get permission. Yeah. It's just so bizarre, but aye, we need to just go crazy and up. Yeah, yeah. 
we need to we need mm. to get better at being disobedient things yes. that we know don't make any sense yeah <laughs> you know, it's funny to say that because there's a couple of girls in my um my reflux diploma i'm doing at the minute there's a couple of girls on that from america and some of the things that they they say that they do with their kids when it comes to like eating foods and getting doing stuff i absolutely love it like when you were growing up, it was like elbows off the table, sit up tall, mouth shut, all this kind of thing. They're like, no, get them chewing the mouth, get the mouth wide open, play games with them, you know, get, because the more that they can see you chewing the food and your mouth going and everything, the more they then know what to do. And then the more then the food's getting broken down properly, the digest properly and doing that. And then some of the other things that they were doing, I'm like, oh my days, I love it. When it comes to dinner time or lunchtime, there is no such thing as like your your main course and then a pudding or a dessert everything is put on the table at the same time and you let them choose what they want to have you let them choose what they want to eat and yeah initially they might just be having the sweet stuff and the puddings but by doing that it takes away that notion of something's a treat there or we need to eat this to get that or whatever let them let them have that control be that rebel let them you know who are we to decide what goes on their plate or as in how much goes on their plate or what they eat from their plate they they need to have that control over themselves yeah. it's their body it's their thing they need to then build that that sort of not relationship i don't mean it that kind of way but yeah like it kind of is it's, it's getting that relationship one with food relationship with your body of listening to your body working out what it needs mm -hmm. what it wants mm -hmm. having it yeah if you feel sick afterwards then you're maybe not going to eat all the ice cream before you eat it but it's yeah. giving permission and that's going to help in the long term with obesity issues with disrupted yeah. um, issues because it is building mm -hmm. that that relationship and respect with the body and with food that's it it's giving them that bit of control over what they want or what they need mm. And I do. one of the things that these girls were saying, I'm like, I absolutely love this. But in our country, it's a whole prim and proper, you need to sit this. And, there's, you know, like sitting with your elbows off the table is right, because you're sitting straight, your esophagus is straight. If you think about, like, leaning up and putting your head down, your muscles are never that strained. Your tongue had to work even more, so it's even more strained. Therefore, you're not going to beat things down properly. You're going to struggle with it. end up getting full tummies and all the rest of it. So there is, like, a purpose with it. But when they're, like, just learning and they're just weaning, why, why not make sort of faces and some of the some of the games and stuff like that, that deal with food that are just like everywhere and doing stuff getting them to play honestly i'm like i'm just loving this it's like i like food that i don't have to chew and when, when i uh -huh. first get diagnosed with crohn's i was like i don't like yeah, that but now the more i learn about digestion and learn about how food's absorbed and stuff i go oh i don't eat food that I need to chew I literally is in the mouth and down the hatch because I've always disliked food so I've always mm -hmm. found the foods that I didn't need to really taste so that mm -hmm. I didn't have to experience them because I, I was a very I, I was looking at photographs of myself when I was being I was very happy but I also have memories of being quite stressed but internally stressed so eating mm -hmm. was a stressful event for me because I didn't Mm -hmm. like hated meat meat always made me sick eggs made me sick dairy made me sick so I had this experience of being sick quite a lot which uh -huh. had an impact on that relationship with food but as an adult it's like if I have vegetables they need to be really soft ideally in a soup so that that takes out all the chewing but then when you miss out that chewing part you're missing out strengthening the tongue strengthening the jaw breaking down the food yeah. getting the enzymes to fire mm -hmm. So that the enzymes can break down the food so that the nutrients can be absorbed and you're like, yeah. oh, 
Yeah. Even like things like mashed potato and porridge, you should still be chewing it because yeah. it's, it's amylase that is in your mouth and the amylase is what starts to break everything down. So the more that you're chewing, the more that you're getting that going, yeah. the more that things are getting broken down and the less chance, like, I mean, you think about it, when you wolf your dinner down or you're in a hurry and you're not really chewing, all of a sudden you're like, oh, my, goodness, my stomach's killing me because you're like so bloated because you've not chewed anything. So it's like fermenting, it's getting all this upset in the stomach because it's trying to break things down, it's bigger than what it should be and it causes to chat, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, I'm sure my wee brother used to chew soup, but I would be like, you're a weirdo, why are you chewing soup? But it was just, it would have been for him that just swooshing it round his mouth. A natural instinct because he was much more relaxed than me. You've second born, yeah. obviously. <laughs> There's a difference there. So, another thing that you do when we were talking about sleep there is you're a sleep coach as well for me. Yeah. 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 So, it was basically like, and again, like I used to, um, I'm sorry, I've just seen a gorgeous little bird sitting out in my tree out the window. It's so nice and I can't even see what it is. <laughs> Just got mine. Um, so I trained initially as a sleep coach in the traditional methods. So it was all about um, sleep training techniques, as you want to call it. So different things like that. And some people are very not bothered. Some people are like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that stuff. And then I, when I sort of left for my franchise and started setting up, and I set up the Bear Hub last year, I, I always felt that when I was talking to clients that, I was trying to convince myself as well as convince them. Something wasn't, but I didn't know what it was. And then at the end of last year, I met my my other mentor, who's also called Jen, that we were talking about. Um, and I started working on like the energetics of birth trauma, looking at things. And like again, when I did my initial training, it was put to me as it's very holistic. It's this, it's that. And I said, okay, that's, it wasn't holistic. It was like extinction techniques. It was um, sleep training. It was you know like that kind of. And some parents and some little ones that works brilliant for it, I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying any of that at all. I'm very much about, again, what works for you and what you want for your family, that is what you do. Don't sort of go like <laughs> doing one way or the other, finding that, that balance. Yeah. But I am now more looking at, again, not baby not sleeping as a symptom of something else. Is it because, and it could be something as simple as the routine or the the length of time they're awake or their environment it could be something like that that the, the basics of foundations aren't quite right for them so we need to tweak them and that's that's all you need or it could be something to do with the digestive digestive system or it's a link from birth or from mum or something like that to do with what's happening so it's looking at it in that holistic view of again looking at underneath the iceberg of what is going on what is happening let's spend this time to do it it's not a quick fix it's not unless it's like it is something simply of we need to tweak the everyday routine and environment and stuff like that, which you can do over like a few days or a week and you maybe start seeing improvements after that. But it's not something it's like, do you know what, in two weeks your baby will definitely be sleeping. They might be, but there might be something we really need to kind of work on and go cause, go deeper. Because like one of the things I was always told that a little one would start getting separation anxiety around about sort of eight, nine months old. A lot of mums feel it's because they're going out to work and sit down. The, the environment's changed for them and the routine's changed for them and like my um, training at the time was like a lot of the time it's because baby they're going into doing another like regression as you call them and they're struggling and assessing their overtime and finding things out so I always looked at it that but in actual fact the separation anxiety can be something that's related to birth like so my little one doesn't 
fully have separation anxiety, but she struggles a lot. But she was taken away from me when she was born to the oxygen because she was so quick. She now struggles to fall asleep without me sitting beside her or daddy being about until she's ready for it. If a baby is taken away, um, C-sections, yeah. if they're taken away from mummy when they're sleeping, that can be an impact of separation anxiety because they get a panic if they're going to go to sleep or get taken away from mum. It all links back. Yeah. And again, it can go further than that again with mum and baby. So it's working through that on an, the energetic level, really, because they're holding it in the body. We all hold this energy from things that happen in experiences that you might start getting upset at something or something's triggering you think where is that coming from it's because your your body in the energetic level is remembering something that's happened when you're younger and you're having that reaction so especially just now with the pandemic there's going to be, there'll be so much of going on and so many babies might have issues or struggles mums might be having issues and struggles because of things because again birth is a catalyst yeah. So it might say something off that's happened to mum in her own pregnancy or her own, like when she was born or whatever. So it's all kind of linked. So it's kind of looking again of what is causing baby sleep? Is it the simple basics? Let's just kind of tweak things a little bit. Or no, we really need to go deep because there's something else going on. Let's give baby the support, let them work through things and use kind of work together. And there's the, the woman that I'm training with, she's the only woman in the UK, she's amazing that actually does this for mum and baby. Mm. There's a lot of people through birth trauma with mum, yeah. but they don't help, they don't work on baby and focus with baby. And a lot of it is, so I'm kind of more talking about the birth trauma, a lot of it, you don't, birth trauma is not what you think it is. Birth trauma, people automatically think emergency C-section or an episiotomy or there's like a hemorrhage or something's happened and everybody's panicking upset. Yeah. Birth trauma for a baby, like one of the examples my trainer gave me that she, she'd worked with a, a mum who had the most beautiful water birth for her little girl. I think it was a girl, I can't remember. Um, absolutely gorgeous, amazing. Couldn't have had, had anything else. And midwife was holding baby, a knock at the door. She went to the door, still in the room, and their child ended up with birth trauma because she was staying away from mum. Mm. For that like, second, she then had that impacted her as she got older. Yeah. So it's not always what you automatically think it is. So with the sleep, it's definitely working on what what is going on. Let's look at the same as reflux. Like let's look at everything. If it's digestive issues, then it's looking again. Okay, what are they eating? What they having? What's going on with that? And figuring that out as well. And looking at the whole lot. So I love it. It's so fascinating. It's like a puzzle trying to find everything that's going out and looking. And and this is where sometimes these conversations that you have with mum is right. That's what's happening. Oh, what was that? When did that happen? What happened? Right, that's it. There, then. Yeah. Just figuring things out and really looking at it on that bigger that that bigger level. Yeah. And you can see there's a lot of this this stuff kind of coming to light now that there's people in different medical realms that are looking into mm -hmm. why have so many adults nowadays got autoimmune disease? Why have so many adults got this issue, that issue? And people like Bessel van der Klok and Gabor Matty talk about trauma all the time, how the body, Bessel van der Klok's book, The Body Keeps Score, Gabor Matty's when the body says no, they're like everything relates mm -hmm. back to trauma and it might be something that you mm -hmm. don't remember because it might be yeah. genetically passed down from yeah. mum or grandparents trauma again. Mm -hmm. or it could be like you're saying there, an experience that happens during birth of that split second being away and then coming back mm -hmm. and if it's not, yeah. because we now have this knowledge, we can deal with it with the babies right now as babies, yeah. whereas for our generation, it's like, well, we have to deal with this as an adult, potentially what's yeah. happened at birth or some other time. Yeah. And we don't need to know what that thing was. We just need to know that, that was in, that we've had an experience 
to be yeah. able to, to switch it. Because obviously when you're dealing with a baby and they are birthing trauma, you can't sit and have a conversation with them and say, it's going to be all right, don't worry. Your, your mum your was right there and the, the midwife took you to the door. That's all, you can't have that conversation. No. What sort of it's stuff do you do to help heal trauma for babies? So, well, this is a course that I'm doing at the minute. So just now I've, I've done like the basic kind of course of it. So it's having like awareness as to how it can impact, what can happen, and then working on Sometimes at the minute, when you just talk to them and you give them that understanding of, okay, this is what's happened, this is how it can impact them, they then feel different, they then react different, they then are aware of it, and then that sort of light bulb moment can be enough just now to work through with baby. But I'm, I'm, I'm studying a diploma to be able to then work with families on the, the energetic level. Yeah. It's working through the chart, it's finding out what pattern has happened with mum, to what then has happened with baby and working on that sort of it will be like my diploma is not until i think it's september it finishes mm. so i'll be able to work on that energetic level yeah being able to sort of piece again piece things together and see what what is happening what is the cause and then help mum and support mum working through any of the trauma that she's had anything that she's went through anything that's been I mean, the stuff I, i'm working through my own rubbish just now because i need to work through it for me yeah. before i can then support other mums yeah. And other families and the stuff that is coming up for me the stuff that i'm like releasing mm. the energy that i'm releasing the energy that i'm that, oh, honestly it's just like it's fascinating and my like my husband Len's not he's not into like energy work or anything like that but he's even like listening to me he's like you know he's quite little right okay <laughs> you know he's kind of like, um, it's fascinating so i can't I, can't, I will eventually change my packages so the packages are a lot longer mm -hmm. so there's more of that connection there's more of that support that will be like meditate. and again it's not people who are maybe like watching or listening you know about you know yourself when it comes to energy work there is no like drink five litres of water a day do this do that and that's you so when it comes to the energy it's working on yourself and going that that deep way so one of the things that I'll I'll learn to do is I'll be able to do like remote healing sessions mm -hmm. So I'm like going into my own heart space that I can then do like energy healing sessions for mum and baby. I'm not even with them and then that will then support baby and helping them go through the trauma and stuff like that. It's still, I'm still learning it all. I'm still kind of the, the sort of early to middle part walking through it. So, yeah. so say for anybody yeah. listening that's thinking, what's she talking about? Energy work. What do you mean by energy work? Like, so... I don't really know what the best way is to describe it. It's working through, so like, hang on. <clears throat> so I've got a chart. So this is like my part of my chart yeah. that works through your emotional cycle. So we have, we go through seven year cycles. Mm -hmm. We have from like in utero up to seven years old. That is when you have all of your beliefs your emotional responses, your triggers, everything that happens to you in the first seven, year, seven years of your life then continues on in seven year, like yearly and seven yearly cycles as you get older. So if something like just now I'm in my intuition cycle. So that relates back to when I was five years old, when I could have walked into the kitchen, mom and dad could have been having an argument. I walk in, feel the tension, feel that atmosphere of something's happened and say, mommy, what's wrong? Is everything okay? For my mom to have said, don't worry, pet, everything's fine, you're all right. You know? And that, that one incident could have then made me feel like I thought something was wrong, but mummy said there isn't, therefore I can't trust my intuition. I can't trust myself. Yeah. 
So then it's looking when I was working when I work with the mums, it's looking at their charts, working through their charts, taking them back to okay, how did you feel when that happened? What is there anything you can remember? What age were you when or when you were this age? What happened? Is there anything you can remember? And trying to work through the pattern to then we are balls of energy. Mm. We are just balls of energy. That you know, so it's when if you have like a trauma and issue, like struggles, like and you go into counselling. I've had counselling for all this sort of crap that I've been through with like having babies and everything like that. And counselling is great. It brings things up to the surface. But your body holds on to that physically, it holds on to that in an energy. We are balls of energy. So it's about releasing the energy on different layers, on that sort of different level, Peel it, like peeling an onion. You know, you're peeling back. So it's all, it'll be like meditations, like energy circles, working through things, working through a realisation of, oh, right, the minute that happened, I remember how I felt. Acknowledging how you felt, acknowledging what's happening and then moving through it, closing it off. So I don't know if that kind of helps as to what you're talking about, the energy, but it's releasing... It's releasing the trauma, it's releasing that feeling to then allow yourself to grow, mm-hmm. to allow yourself to go to the next level. I don't know if that kind of explains it very well. Or... I, I understand it, so I'm, I'm always looking for how other people explain it because yeah. it's a really diffi- I find it a really difficult thing to explain to somebody, so it's always yeah. good to get other people to explain what they mean by it to hopefully yeah. put a picture <laughs> together for people. Yeah. But it's, like some of the things that you do for and like for energy release is like screaming and punching into a pillow, dancing, shaking, just meditating, journaling. Yeah, energy circle. Energy circles, yeah. mm-hmm. burning your sage. Like you can go and put yeah. crystals in your body. Like you can go as woo woo as you like with it because for me it's what make what makes you feel better. What exactly? What I was I remember being on a call, um, with. Hayley Thompson and she was doing a an Instagram live with her teacher um who and she does a lot of Reiki and energy healing and the her teacher was like right we're going to do a group energy thing and I thought oh this will just be a nice wee meditation and it just there's something energetically changed in my body I could feel presence mm-hmm. yeah which, as yeah. much as my the scientific part of my brain's like yeah okay whatever the experience of it was just like I felt so grounded. I felt like there was another presence there that just felt soothing. Yeah, it's like the it's energy was giving me a hug. Yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing. You can't it, it, it. And no. somebody who's you never can. experienced it would just be like, "All right." Exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> if you're open, to, I think you have to be mentally and for like emotionally yeah. open to going right okay let's just see what happens here and yeah. if something yeah. brilliant and if it doesn't energetically it has even though you haven't felt it that's it exactly and because like all my like I was a, a police officer for 18 years my dad wasn't interested in any of this he wouldn't allow my mum to do it and all this and since I like came out of the job in January all not even that actually at the end of the year I, I was getting this pull I was getting this pull to like like I'd met Jenny I had started like like having conversations with her, I done I sort of joined her first course that I did, and the more I'm working with her, the more I'm doing it, the more I'm feeling this pull, the more I'm feeling this like this is it, this is where I want to go because I need to watch my time. Actually, I've got a call for a client. Just I don't know what time is it. Uh, Twenty five yeah. to two. Yeah, it started five minutes, so I'll quickly finish. <laughs> Sorry. Um. Yeah. So the more I'm doing things, the more I'm sort of realizing that this is the way I want to go because with. Dylan, when she was born, 
she, I fed her to sleep, I rocked her to sleep, I did everything like that because I thought that's what you did. I did not know any different. And then I wanted to do, I wanted a new career, I wanted to do something different. So that's how I got into the world of sleep. I just kind of found out and I wanted to sort of support mums. There was a few nights with her where I was really, really struggling, really upset, not knowing what's going on. But the big part is I had, when she was six, six months old, I had um, post-traumatic stress or um, they couldn't decide whether it was that or depression or whatever. Yeah. But I struggled really badly. I was, you know, like I was just, I was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. There's no words about it. And it's only, I would say, like I've been to counselling, I've done different things like that. And I would say it's only really since I started working with Jenny that I am now releasing things and I'm now sort of working through everything that's it's happening. So again, for me, this is like, when I'm saying earlier on about not wanting to do the traditional sleep methods, it's because this is my, this is what I'm aligned with. This is what I want to do. This is that finding out more about this energy, the, the buzz that I get from it, the sort of the tingles I get all over me when I talk about it or excitement with it. It's, I want to be able to support families through trauma. Whether, whether it was trauma like Dylan of her like being taken away from me, whether it's trauma of like we had, before Dylan, I had six miscarriages and a stillborn. So like we've been through absolute crap, you know, and I even had another miscarriage two, two years ago. So like I, I've been through that, I've been through that, it's been through that cry. Mm -hmm. And we, we've come out the other side. I have got my, like, my amazing little girl, I've got everything. And it's not so much of a, I've been through that, I'm a survivor, I won't help you. I, it's not anything to do with that. I just, I want to support mums to know that there is people there if you want to talk to. And like, I didn't feel before, again, before all of um, going down the energy stuff, I always had that opinion of, I can't talk about it because I didn't want to upset people or I didn't want to be attention seeking or I didn't want to make people feel uncomfortable. And it's now that I'm realising again that all of those feelings I'm having is something that's happened to me when I was a kid. It's something that that is things that are triggering that I now can't do. So I'm very much a believer of my first daughter. This is her legacy. She Because up until then as well, I was like, yeah, I've got the best life in the world. No worries, no nothing. And working through everything and working through this, I want to support families and help families, whether it's through sleep, whether it's through reflux, whether it's through that they're just having struggles or they're just not sure where to go or what to do or they want somebody to listen to them. This is what I want to do. I want them to, I want to help them work through their shit, basically. Because yeah. I know the difference that it's felt in me. Mm. And I'm still working through my stuff. I'm at the start of it and that will never end. It's layer after layer after layer. Even if you think you've resolved something, never. All of a sudden, we start feeling something. Then, right, okay, what's, what's this me? Where yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm and I, I'm 10, 11 years into my journey. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. You do have those days, and then there are other days where you're just like, thank God, thank God I scratched that scab because it needed uh -huh. to heal properly. Yeah. Absolutely. There's things that have happened with me and I'm like, okay, right, why is this coming up? Where is this coming from? Let's work through it. Whereas that was a year ago, I'd have crashed. I'd went into a corner and started walking. I'd be like, no, I can't do it. No, no. Because of the trauma, because of everything, I just, I lived in a bubble and if anything even threatened to burst that bubble, I crumbled. I absolutely crumbled because of the worry, because of the stress, the deer in headlights. I was like, I couldn't do anything without asking Len, not as in I needed his permission, I was just too scared. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have that thing of, you know, I'd, I'd hide behind him. 
you know, because I needed that comfort. He was my, my comfort blanket. I couldn't do anything else without him. And it's now working through everything on this energetic level, releasing things, working through things, having this transformation. That I feel like I am, I feel like I'm finally myself again. I feel like I'm taking that journey. I feel like I'm the, I'm the mum that I've always wanted to be to Dylan, that I've not been able to be because everything's been under a cloud. Yeah. And that, that is all. I just want to support mums and give them that same feeling, give them that same support, give them that same... So whether it's something simple that's going on with sleep or whether it's the whole opposite end where they need to be held, I'm working through my shit, so I've got the space to hold them. Yeah. That they feel supported, that they feel that, yeah, I can let go. Yeah. That That is my, that's my ultimate mission. Your passion just oozes out of you. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just... Yeah. You just know that you're, on, you're on the right path. Anyway, I better let you go so that you can get to your mm. client. <laughs> Thank you so oh, much. And I can't Thank chat you. again. Awesome. Yes, definitely. We'll have another big rant. <laughs> right, my lovely. I will speak to you All later. Right, I'll speak to you later. Thank you. Bye. See you later. Bye. How amazing. How amazing is Jen? I just this is the second conversation that I've had with her um, this week when I was on her IGTV live, or keep calling it IGTV, an Instagram live thing. Um, on Monday, we chatted for the best part of an hour and there we've gone just another hour. Amazing. So check Jen out. She is at the Beer Hub UK. I will tag her in the posts here. And I'll also have it uploaded onto YouTube and onto my podcast if sitting listening to this on IGTV is not suitable for you. So it will be everywhere so that you can listen again. So thank you very much for joining us.